Um, I just want to add an encouragement uh, about the fast, if you guys have been going through that. And I think as Pastor Nathan has shared several times and you felt like you're failing or whatever, don't give up. You know, just it's, it's not like this is a legalistic thing that we're going through. Um, this is an opportunity to draw close to God. So, you know, just kind of pick up where you left off um, and just keep going. And if there's some things that maybe you need to do differently, you feel like God has been saying, hey, you know, maybe give this thing up or maybe add this thing back in, do that too. You know, listen to God, be flexible. I know for myself this past week, I was like, oh, you know, I should probably, you know, pull this thing out as well. And, and I did that. So again, the goal is to draw close to God. So just want to encourage you in that. Um, um, so, so again, good morning. So as, as Corey mentioned, uh, Nathan got hit pretty hard with sickness. His whole family did. So on Thursday, he reached out to the elders and asked if anybody could kind of pitch in and, you know, fill in for him on the sermon so he'd have a chance to rest and recuperate. Um, so uh, this morning, the, the message that I actually had prepared, I, I actually had prepared it about a year ago for a different congregation. So it's, it's a blessing that I have it available. Um, but even though I prepared it a year ago, I do think that it is something that really God has for us this morning. It is very applicable, I know, to myself, and I think that you will, will see that as well. Um, when I was originally studying what we're going to be talking about this morning, I was very excited to see what, what God was going to say. Um, and that was until I actually learned what he did have to say, and um, that excitement was replaced with a little bit of a panicked Oh no. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but it seems to happen to me a lot where I'm reading and studying. I, I think I have an idea of what, you know, what God is saying, what his direction is. I have a, an idea in my mind of, you know, what, what my theological or doctrinal perspective is, you know, what my walk is to be. And I read something and I'm like, well, I guess I was wrong. Um, and so I'm forced to face what God is saying and shift my life accordingly, um, change my theological perspectives or lifestyle or whatever it is to be more in line with what God's word is. And so that's what happened here. And so in sort of a, a twisted way, I guess this morning, I don't want to give this message because by giving it, I'm not only reminding myself of what God has said, um, but also that means that you all are gonna hold me accountable to what, what I'm gonna be teaching. Uh, but I guess misery loves company, so uh, prepare yourself now. Um, are you willing to have God shape your theology, your, your lifestyle, your walk, or are you just going to stick with what you've always understood to be the way of truth? Um, intrigued? Scared? Uh, don't be scared. Um, so this morning we're going to be looking at a single verse from Colossians, but we're going to be expanding a bunch of stuff out from that, so I definitely recommend you have a Bible because um, we're going to be looking, like I said, all over the place in there. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. The ushers would be happy to provide you with one. Uh, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, if you have one of these black Bibles, it is page 955. And that's Colossians 3:20. I'm also going to put it on the screen for your convenience. And I'll just read this for you. Children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, um, 
you are the ultimate teacher, Lord. And um, I come this morning with a, a form of a sermon, a message that you have placed on my heart and taught me, Lord, but without your empowerment, it is merely words. So, Lord, I just pray that this morning that you would fill this sermon, prepare us to, to listen to you, to learn from you, Lord, and most importantly, after learning, to be willing to, to walk in the way that you have for us. Lord, I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is where everybody in the room, well, at least all the parents, you know, see the verse up there, fist pumps, high fives, it's all right. This is God-sanctioned authority over children. Um, and then, of course, any teenagers or kids in the room are cringing and hoping that this verse doesn't mean what it seems to imply at first glance. Um, now, again, before we dig in, as I've already stated, it's very important that we're willing to approach Scripture for what it actually is saying, um, not what we just want it to say. And none of us are immune from kind of reading into Scripture what, what we want it to say. We all have preconceived ideas. Um, there are things that um, you know, we have been taught in the past, things that we believe about what the Bible teaches. There are things that our society tells us about what is right and wrong, what's good and bad, and all of that kind of feeds into our understanding of, of who God is and what Scripture is saying. And as a result, we can end up reading into Scripture something that may not even be there, or in some cases just sort of, you know, completely ignore something that is there, uh, simply because it contradicts our own perception of what is good and what is right, um, again, based on, on the world around us. Um, a couple of examples of how this works out. Um, there are many Christians who will approach ideas of sex and sexuality, and despite what is rather clear in Scripture, they will jump through all sorts of huge intellectual hoops to try and conform Scripture to what their own desire is that Scripture would say. And, and in many cases, these are intellectually honest Christians. They may be people who are really trying to, to follow God, yet in this, they will miss the mark. On the other side of the spectrum, you may have a, a group of Christians who um, may be looking at Scripture, and, and, and they may have some ideas about alcohol consumption, for example, and they may view that as being, in any contexts, as being inappropriate or immoral. And, and in, individuals of this persuasion may very well look at Scripture that talks about alcohol and they will reinterpret it or look at it in such a way that they will, will kind of write it out of Scripture itself, almost like it doesn't even exist. Um, and again, th these may be Christians who are intellectually honest. They may be seeking after God, but for one reason or another, because of either what the culture that they've been brought up in or hurts in their past or whatever it is, may not be able to see what Scripture is actually teaching. So it's important, regardless of, of what our persuasion is, whether we are on the more conservative end of things, we are on the more progressive end of things, regardless of what we are, we need to make sure that we are willing to see around our own biases and our own preconceived ideas of what is right and wrong. We need to be able to look and see what Scripture is actually saying and let Scripture teach us rather than us reading into Scripture what we want it to say. And so this is part of the reason why God, I think, was leading me to this particular verse. Because I, I know 
I have this problem, like everybody else does. I know what I want this passage to say, I mean, as a parent and as a child of parents. I know what other Christians have told me that this passage says, but I've also seen some of those hints of those intellectual hoops starting to get jumped through when people start to try to apply this verse in their lives. So it's my hope and prayer today that um, as we read this and we look at a couple other passages, we will have a clear vision from God and we will be willing to accept what God is teaching us. So I want to expand this out a little bit and we're going to read um, it a little bit more in context here. And this is starting in Colossians 3.18. And I'm just going to read this whole section here. So it says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven." So taking a look at this passage, um, we start to see that there's sort of a, a pairing setup in there. You can, the colors aren't great on here, but we, we have several different sections here in this passage. We have in the first couple verses in 18 and 19, we have wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving wives. Then in verses 20 and 21, we have children obeying parents. And then we have fathers not provoking their children. And in verses 22 all the way through Colossians 4.1, we have slaves or bondservants obeying their masters, and then the masters are to be treating their bondservants justly and fairly. So one party, if you will, is to submit and obey, and the other is to be loving, just, and fair. And both parties really have responsibilities. And although one party is you know, in charge, if you will, they're not to be dictators, okay? They're not to be ruthlessly ordering the other one around. They must be loving, just, and fair. So this is our passage in Colossians, but I also want to look at a passage that is a parallel passage from Ephesians. So if you flip a few pages back at Ephesians 6, if you're in the, the Black Bible, it's uh, page 950. Again, I'll put this on the screen so you can take a look at that as well. And what I want to hone in on is the same section that we were talking about in Colossians 3.20. Because in this, Paul provides us a little bit more elaboration to help us better understand what really he's talking about um, in, in Colossians 3. So starting in verse 1, this again is chapter 6. Um, Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So verse 1 in here is very similar to our Colossians 3.20 verse. 
But then in verses 2 and 3, you have Paul touching on and basically paraphrasing part of the Ten Commandments. And this is specifically the the fifth commandment um, of honoring father and mother. And this is actually pretty important um, as we come back to talking about our passage of children obeying parents. So I want to talk a little bit about the Ten Commandments as a whole. If you want to look at them, you can turn to Exodus 20. But I'm just going to kind of give you a summary of what those look like. Um, And so in Exodus 20, we have the first four commandments that you'll see. They talk about honoring God, not having any gods before him, no idols, and not taking the Lord's name in vain, and then finally keeping the Sabbath holy. And then we have the next six commandments in Exodus, which speak of honoring our neighbor, uh, honoring father and mother, not murdering not committing adultery, not stealing, not bearing false witness, and not coveting. Now, what's been pointed out by some scholars that's pretty interesting about this list, okay, in particular, the the second six commands about honoring our neighbor, or loving our neighbor, I should say, the thing that's interesting about it is that honoring father and mother is even in there at all. Um... Because if you you think about it, and you think of all the different relationships in life, I mean, the Ten Commandments don't talk about how husbands and wives should honor each other. They don't talk about how parents should, you know, take care of their children. There's nothing like that. Um, Sure, there's some sections in there about not committing adultery and not, you know, coveting your neighbor's wife, but, but that's different. That's different than talking about honoring father and mother. And why father and mother? Why specifically is that relationship of all of the relationships highlighted in the Ten Commandments? You know, again, this is kind of the big, the big ten, if you will. Okay, why is that in there? Now, there are other parts of Scripture, of course, that do talk about honoring our spouses, for example. But again, Ten Commandments, why specifically is the father and mother relationship highlighted? And I think that really what this comes down to, and again, this is what some of these scholars have have pointed out, is that perhaps the reason is, and this is really, I guess, what I've come to believe, that second to our relationship to God, there's something very important. In fact, I would say more significant than pretty much any other relationship in our lives for us as children to our parents, okay? So there's something special in particular, about honoring father and mother. It's also important to note that the Ten Commandments is not directed just to to young people. In fact, just looking at the list again, I mean, when it's talking about these various different things, not committing adultery, not, uh, you know, lying in there. I mean, these are are adult-type behaviors. So, So very clearly, the Ten Commandments is directed at adults. Um, and I, I just want to highlight this further. If we take a look at, I got a passage up here from Matthew 15. And this, in this passage, Jesus is specifically speaking to the Pharisees, and he talks a little bit about this uh, fifth commandment. And this is Matthew 15, verses 1 through 6, if you want to look in your own Bibles. And I'll just read it. It says, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, 
Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father or mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now, this is a really biting criticism, and it's not my intent to get into all the specifics of what's going on here. But what I want to point out is that Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees specifically with this fifth commandment. Because in their own practices, they were not honoring their their parents. They were not honoring their fathers and mothers. And obviously, the Pharisees were adults. So again, this is indication that the Ten Commandments and this command to honor father and mother was directed at adults. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't directed at children as well. Of course it was. But I just want to point out that this was not uniquely limited to children. Clearly, it was intended for everybody regardless of age. Well, what does that ultimately mean? What does it mean to honor father and mother? Now, to an extent, we all kind of know what it means. Um, We know what it means to honor someone. We know what it means to dishonor someone. And back in the Old Testament and New Testament time periods, they would have known this as well. So it's not like the Bible goes into this whole dissertation on, okay, this is what it means to honor. But it does give us some specific examples that we can use as as a guide, okay? And I do want to look at just a few of these quickly here. Um, So the first one I have appears from Leviticus 19.32. And it says, you shall stand up before the gray head, which is the elderly, okay? You should stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. So stand up, honor the elderly. In uh, 1 Peter 3.7, We have, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So here we have honoring wives. And then the last example here really quick. John 5, 22 through 23 says, the father judges no one, and this is God the father here, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. So again, these are all examples of honoring. We have honoring the elderly, honoring wives, and lastly, honoring God. But we also have some examples that we can read about dishonor, all right? And quickly up here again, this is Exodus 21, uh, verse 15 and 17. And it says, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. And whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Okay, so clearly examples of dishonoring in this case. Um, We also have the example of Noah and his son Ham, and this is from Genesis 9, and we're not going to read the the passage, but basically what happened here is that Ham happened to walk in on the tent, and his father Noah was naked. And rather than doing the honorable thing, which would have just been to cover up his father, he went and told his brothers about it, and they were the ones who had to end up going in and, and covering up Noah's nakedness. And that, you know, that was dishonoring to Noah. And it actually says in the Bible, if you read the section, that Noah cursed Ham. And I always joke that the reason that Jews don't eat pork is because Noah cursed Ham. So, you know, so, um, so, you know, passages about honor and dishonor, all right? Uh, so we start to piece together what it actually looks like for um, us to honor our mother and father. Um, it involves respecting them. It involves listening to them, providing for their needs. It involves not cursing them or speaking poorly about them, 
not hitting them, not hating or criticizing them. But here's the key question, okay, and this goes back to our passage that we read in the very beginning. Does honoring our parents involve obeying our parents? Okay, and again, like I said, this brings us back to Colossians, but I also want us to go back to this Ephesians passage here, and I'll just read it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so Paul in this passage is very clearly tying children, obey your parents, okay, that specific command to this fifth commandment of honoring father and mother, okay? And so it's important for us to understand what that relationship now is. So who's the target audience, you know? Again, are we talking about everybody like we talked about with honoring father and mother, or are we talking just about the very young, you know, children? Who are children in this Ephesians passage? Who are children in our Colossians passage? Now, the natural inclination for us may be just to assume that it is talking about people who are very young. And that suits us just fine because what adult wants to be biblically obligated to obey their parents? But is that the correct understanding of the verse? Because after all, the word children in the English language can be a little bit ambiguous in what it means. Of course, it can mean the very young, like we have kids in children's church. You know, they are children. But my sister and I are the children of our parents, okay? And in the Greek, there's the same sort of ambiguity that exists in the word. So what does it mean? And I'm going to just give you an example here. This is from Romans. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And clearly, this is, again, talking about everybody. We are all children of God. Romans 8, 16, and actually the, the passage that, that Don shared this morning used the word children over and over again from Isaiah 30. Again, speaking of everybody, not just talking about the very young. So just looking at the verse itself, we can't really tell who it applies to. Does it apply to everyone? You know, it's, it's just not that clear. Although I will say it is a very clear-cut case that if you are very young, it applies. So you have to obey. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's what the Bible says. Um, so, the, so the command of obedience for very young children who are currently young is very clearly indicated in the Bible. But I want to look a little bit more into adult children. What is our implication? What is our expectation? What is the Bible teaching us? And to do that, I want to explore a few other passages that uh, talk about the relationships of adult children interacting with their parents. And the first one we'll look at is Deuteronomy 21, and uh, 21 verses 18 through 21. You can look in your Bibles if you'd like. I'll put it up here on the screen. But uh, just to give you a little bit of a background on this, this is a, a section from the Law of Moses. So even though it's talking about a specific situation that we're going to read about, uh, because it's in the Law of Moses, it was intended to have broad applications. So it would have been viewed as, this is the way that we should interact with our parents. This is how we deal with adult children. So the passage is this. Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, 
and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out, of the, out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this is our son, he is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So we have a passage, again, where the son is clearly older, just based on the behavior problems he's having, You're talking about you know, drinking and whatever. And although it's not clear exactly how old he was, the age of legal responsibility where you would have punishment invoked was 13 in Israel. So he would have been at least that old. But regardless, so he's, he's an older son and probably much older than 13. And he was considered guilty of punishment because he did not obey his parents. Another example I want to bring up is from Luke 15. And this is the story of the prodigal son. And we're not going to read through that whole section. But again, the, the, the story of the prodigal son is not, um, it's not a story that actually occurred. It, it is, a, is a parable. But the way Jesus is using it as a parable, it is a broad teaching. So we can take that teaching and apply it to our lives and our understanding what the relationship between parents and children should look like, or at least aspects of that. So basically what happened in the story is there's the, the younger son, who was the prodigal, he rebelled against his father, he went away, he spent the whole inheritance. We know again that this was an older son because he spent his inheritance on prostitutes, ran out of money, came back to his father, um, and after he returned and he repented and he wanted forgiveness from his father, um, ultimately, his father accepted him, him back, but the older son, who had always been with his father, had something very interesting to say. And if you take a look in Luke 15, 29, the older son said this, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This is what the father did in celebration. He, the young son came back, slaughtered a goat, had a big celebration, welcomed him back in. So the older son's complaint in this whole situation was is that his brother had been disobedient while he had been obedient. So we see two passages here, one Old Testament, one New Testament, where we see examples of adult children who were not obeying their parents, and that was considered a bad thing. Now what can be pointed out in both of these cases, though, is that although they were adults, Clearly, both of these adults were very dysfunctional, okay? They um, probably weren't really independent from their parents. They were either financially or material. materially. In one case, they were living under the roof. You know, he's living under the roof of his father. So they're not really independent adults. They may be adults in age, technically could survive on their own, but really weren't doing so. But even so, in this situation, as dependent adults, dependent on their parents, they were expected to obey them. So to kind of summarize where we are so far, there's very clear scriptural support that if you are a child, young child, you are to obey your parents. That's kind of the, the clear element in scripture. And then also we have a couple examples here of if you are an adult who is dependent on your parents, you're still living under the roof of your father and mother, 
There's examples here where obedience to parents is expected as a good thing. Again, for, for dependent adults. So, and this again, this obedience is part of that command of honoring father and mother. But it is important that as we're talking about what obedience looks like, that we again go back to this Ephesians 1 passage, where it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And the key part of this is in the Lord. Because what it means is that there are still some limits to what obedience looks like. It doesn't mean that a parent can just dictate to a child. Um, It means that if a a parent is telling a child to do something that is ungodly um, or is in some some way harmful to the child, they are not under obligation to obey. So the ultimate authority in all these situations is the Lord. So this is an important qualifier, you will, limiting what that obedience actually looks like. So now that we've talked about young children, and we've talked about adult children who are really dependent on their parents in some way, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about adult children who probably most of us fall into this category who are independent from our parents. What does that look like? You know, we're not under, we're not being supported by them financially. We're kind of doing our own thing, living our own lives. And like I said, that probably pertains to most of us. And I want to look again at a couple passages from Scripture um, to see what Scripture has to say about these types of relationships. And the first example is uh, Joseph. And I want to look at Genesis 49. And um, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to put the one one verse up, up here that we can read together. But at the time, Joseph was the second in command of all of Egypt. So clearly he had a lot of wealth, a lot of power. And uh, towards, uh, you know, while, while Joseph was, was reigning over Egypt, second in command, uh, his father came to Jacob, um, or sorry, Jacob, his father, came to Joseph and basically was on his deathbed, and he had this to say to him. This is in uh, Genesis 49, verse 29. So Joseph's father said, Then he commanded them and said, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. And then just a little bit later, Joseph responded later. This is in Genesis 50, verse 5. Speaking to Pharaoh, said, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now, therefore, please go up. Please let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. So Jacob here commanded his sons, you know, even the great and powerful Joseph, like I said, who had wealth, family of his own, power of his own, many times more than his father ever had, he asked a specific request, and the response of Joseph was obedience. You know, and that was viewed as, as a good thing in the way that the biblical narrative is written. The second example I want to talk about really quick is from Exodus, and this is with Moses. This is Exodus 18. Um, and at the time, again, Moses had just led the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt. So he again, has a lot of power, a lot of independence, his own family, all this stuff is going on. But Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, came up to Moses. Um, He had some concerns about how Moses was leading the nation, and he gave Moses some advice. Now, reading in my Bible, it says Jethro gives Moses advice, but the way that it's written, as you'll see, it doesn't seem to be in the take-it-or-leave-it type of category. So this is Exodus 18, verse 19. 
Jethro says, Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. And then he proceeds on, and if you kind of continue on in chapter 18, he tells them what he thinks he should do. And Moses' response was obedience. So again, Moses, a lot of wealth, a lot of power, family, totally independent from his father-in-law at this point in time. Yet we see a biblical example of obedience. And this was viewed as a good thing. Now, to be clear, the Bible doesn't comment on what it would have meant if Joseph or if Moses had just decided to not do what their, their father and their father-in-law asked. It doesn't say. I mean, would it have been sinful? I mean, we don't really know because the Bible doesn't talk about it. But what is clear is that their obedience was considered to be honoring. Okay, that is clear. And this is where stuff starts to get a little bit tricky because I, I think that uh, most Christians would probably agree with what what I've said up to this point, and most commentators and people that I've looked at, that you know, if you're a young child, obedience makes sense. If you um, are dependent on your parents, if you really are under their roof still in some way, it makes sense for, for obedience to be something that you should be doing for your father and mother. It makes sense that everybody, regardless of their age, should be honoring their father and mother. That's kind of the, the cut and dry stuff. Where stuff starts to get a little bit tricky is when we start talking about adults who really are not dependent on their parents anymore in any way. Because what I have found almost universally is that, you know, whether it's internet searches or books on Christian family dynamics, you look at these different authors and they're very quick to point out that there's a difference between honoring and obeying, which there is, that is true. There is a difference between honoring and obeying but they will say basically that uh, if you're an independent adult, you do not need to obey your parents. And like I said, that's, that's pretty much the universal sentiment as I've looked around. But the interesting part of this is that the reason that they will say that adult independent children don't have to obey their parents is this hang up on the word children, okay? That seems to be the watershed word. They'll say, well, you're not a child, therefore you don't have to obey. But as we've already explored, that word is not as clear as we would like it to be. So it's really not that cut and dry. To me, it seems that in our culture where we value independence so much and we don't have this cultural heritage of honoring our elders and honoring our parents and providing for them and doing all these things that you know, would have existed in, in biblical times and do exist in many other cultures, that because we don't have that, we very quickly take the out whenever we can. And so when somebody says, oh, you don't have to obey, bam. We just, we agree with that and we go with it because we like having our independence. And we will automatically favor any interpretation that gives us that out. And it is very tempting because I'd love for it to be that clear cut, but unfortunately I just don't think that it is. Because the thing is, is we, you know, we just read these two passages here, and again, these passages are presenting examples of adult children who are obedient to their parents in a very positive light. So what does that mean? You know, what does it ultimately mean? What is my opinion on obedience as an adult, as an independent adult? Well, I want to read you a couple passages um, just to kind of wrap this up. And you guys can, I guess, tell me your thoughts. So this is Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. 
It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So doing nothing from selfish ambition and humility counting others as more significant than yourselves, looking to the interest of others. Christ humbled himself to being obedient to the point of death. And the question is, is what does that tell you about obedience? Another quick example here from Colossians. This is just a little bit earlier than what we were reading before. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, this passage talks about compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, and above all these, putting on love. Again, what does this tell you about how we should behave in relationships? So I'm an adult. I'm an independent Christian, um, married, have a life of uh, my own, family of my own. And when it comes down to it, I feel like these passages really are teaching me that in the case of relationships with my parents and with my in-laws, I probably should be obedient. And again, this is with, within the Lord in kindness and meekness, patience and humility, without seeking selfish ambition to honor my parents, to honor my in-laws and the Lord. Because really what it comes down to is in light of these two examples, in light of this in Colossians, what biblical excuse do I really have to not honor and obey? Really, in the Lord. Especially when we tar- start thinking about the preeminence of this relationship. I mean, what a reversal that would be for everything else that Paul teaches, everything that Jesus teaches about, if suddenly we, are, we were able to just insist on our own rights and go our own way and not think of others above ourselves. And again, we're talking about this special relationship of of honoring uh, father and mother, which is different. It's highlighted amongst all those other relationships that we have. Now, I, I do recognize that that is contrary to what perhaps you've been taught, perhaps what you've been told, and what many would say. And so my challenge is is not to just do that because I'm saying to do it, um, but to search the scriptures for yourselves, to really search them for yourselves. Are we called to obey? 
what does honoring look like? Don't do it because I'm saying to do it, but also don't just take the out because that seems to be the common cultural norm that we can just insist on our own rights and not have to obey as perhaps that we should. Now, it is one thing to say honor and obey. It is, it is quite another to actually do it, okay? Because to let's be honest, some of our parents are really annoying, all right? Um, they are demanding on us right now. So what happens if we actually start uh, doing what they say, okay? Some of, this, some of us have manipulative parents, cranky parents, parents who overstep what are appropriate boundaries. Yes, that's true. But again, what does God call us to do in these sorts of circumstances? You know, what is the calling of Scripture, okay? I mean, he could give us an out in those circumstances. But again, we revisit these passages like in Colossians and in Philippians 2. What do they tell us about how we should be relating to one another? I mean, in those passages, they're just talking about everybody. Again, we have this special relationship with our parents, honoring father and mother. What does that really look like? Now, we're a little bit short on time, so I want to uh, just kind of bring us to uh, the end here. But what I want to say is that um, there's, well, there's two things. The first is, is, is the ultimate question is, is what, what are you going to do with this? I mean, the first part is, is taking a look and seeing what Scripture says you know, and making sure that we're understanding and being willing to walk in what God is calling us to. To summarize, we've already talked about that if you are a child, a young child, or if you're dependent on your parents financially, materially, living under their roof, I think there's a pretty clear indication in Scripture that you are called to honor and obey. If you're independent from your parents, it's a little bit more tricky. But um, regardless, honoring is difficult even if you take out the obedience part. What is God calling you to do? And I would ask that in that, as you are meditating on that and talking about that and thinking on that, you know, have this dialogue with God about what exactly that looks like in that relationship. A quick message to the parents that are out there. This is difficult. I mean, you understand it's difficult if you have relationships with, with your, if your parents are still living, you understand how that is complicated, okay? Um, you, you, I, my guess is you would realize that this could be also difficult with your children. So please do not make this more difficult for them than it needs to be. Your children are called to honor you. That is very clear in Scripture. Your children are called to honor you. Don't lead them into sin by making it difficult for them to do that. Don't lead them into sin by making it difficult for your children to honor you. So we are just going to, uh, to wrap up. I'm going to pray in just a minute. Um, but as I pray, um, ponder these things in your heart. If you uh, want to come talk with me or pray with me afterwards, you're welcome to do so. Also, there's some other elders here. Um, but take some time to pray on this. This is a very important relationship in our lives. God has set it apart. He is our Father in heaven. There's a parallel there that between him being our Father in heaven and our fathers and mothers here on earth. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this message this morning. We recognize that this is a very difficult thing to do. We value our independence. We value 
um, our ideas and our ideologies and our, our ability to go our own way. But Lord, you have called us to something greater. You've called us to look to others in humility as being greater than us, Lord. And you've called out father and mother as being a particular relationship, a special relationship that we are to honor. You've highlighted this, Lord. Help us to honor our parents, Lord, even when it gets tough, expecting that it will be tough. The only way we can do this, Lord, is through you. So draw us close to yourself. Teach us your wisdom. Teach us your love. Give us your humility. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're dismissed. Go and be the church.